as we think about our passage tonight, uh, one of the things that I, w- I just was kind of struck by this week is not uh, necessarily what happens in the passage, but what doesn't happen. And that immediately caused me to start thinking about the fact that throughout history, a few books of the Old Testament have been uh, pretty hotly debated. Some uh, rabbis and, and scribes and scholars thought that you know, some books of the Old Testament shouldn't be part of the Hebrew Bible, shouldn't be part of the Old Testament. And one of those books that was probably uh, most significantly debated is the book of Esther. And you might think, what's so bad about the book of Esther? It's this nice story about how God delivers his people when it seems like there's no hope that that's going to happen. But what most people don't know about the book of Esther is that it's the only book in the Bible that never, ever, ever mentions God. Not one single time. Not one single time is the name of God mentioned in the book of Esther. And so some people say, how can this book, which, which doesn't even talk about God, be in the Old Testament? To which I would say that sometimes what's not included is not included for a reason. Sometimes that's what is important. And in the book of Esther, what, what the author is trying to communicate to us is that even when God seems like he's most distant from his people, even when it seems like he's not even there, that's when he works. That's when he intervenes to deliver his people from an enemy that, that no one thinks they're going to be delivered from. And so that's kind of what we're going to see in our passage tonight. And in the same way, as we come to the Gospel of Matthew, three little verses, three little verses which, which don't even seem uh, all that important because Jesus doesn't even say anything. If you look in your Bible at the passage we're studying tonight, there's no red letters. And we might be tempted to think that because Jesus doesn't even speak in these three short verses, that they're not important. Maybe we don't need to devote as much attention to them because he doesn't say anything. But just like in the book of Esther and other places like that, it's the fact that Jesus doesn't say anything is because Matthew is trying to emphasize what is said. We're going to see three different people speak. Three different people are going to talk in, our, in these, these three verses tonight. And uh, they're going to show us that what's important in these verses is not what Jesus says about himself. That's not important in this passage. What's important in this passage is what we say about Jesus. How we respond to Him. What we have to say about what He does. See, up to this point in Matthew 8 and 9, we've seen Jesus do a whole lot of things. Right? We've seen Him uh, heal someone from the, the worst skin disease imaginable. We've seen him heal this, this servant from, from far away without even going to where the guy is. He, he just says the word and the guy's healed. We've seen him uh, show his authority, his power over creation by, by silencing the wind and the waves and the storm. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him heal other diseases. We've even seen him show his power over death itself. 
But what Matthew shows us tonight in these three short verses, he shows us that seeing all those things, while it's important, and we we need to see Jesus as He's presented in, in Matthew's Gospel, we need to see the things He does in these two chapters. But if we don't also respond to Him, and have a response to Jesus, and, and say something for ourselves about what He does, then seeing all those things just doesn't matter. So let's read, let's read these verses, and then talk about how that's shown to us. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, there's some at the end of the rows, and you'll find tonight's passage in those Bibles on page 814. Verse 32 of chapter 9. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You sent Your Son into the world. God, we thank You that because He lived a perfect life and because He died on the cross for our sins and because You rose Him from the dead, that You sent Your Holy Spirit into the world to help those who would believe in Him. And that just one of the ways that You help us is by inspiring the Word that we read. So God, we thank You that You have inspired Matthew to write this passage. That these words are just as much Your words as they are His. God, we ask that tonight that they would be clear to us that we would submit ourselves to Your authority and what You want to teach us. God, we ask that You would just protect us from distractions, Lord, and uh, that You would give us focus and a desire to know more of Your Son through Your Word. It's in His name we pray. Amen. As I've kind of said already, the main point of this passage tonight is that what we say about Jesus is important. What we say about Jesus is important. It's not enough to just see who He is in Scripture. It's not enough to see the the amazing, the miraculous, these, these wonderful things that He does. That's not enough. We also need to respond to that. We need to say something about it for ourselves. And so tonight, in our passage, in these three verses, we're going to see three different people say something about Jesus. And in each of their responses, we're going to see uh, a guide for how we should think about responding to Him ourselves. So let's look at our passage. Verse 
32 and 33 essentially just introduce what's going to happen. So Matthew starts out by saying, as they were going away. Last week we saw in Matt's passage that that Jesus healed these two blind guys. He healed them, they they regained their sight, and then Jesus is, is obviously at this point leaving. Matthew tells us that they were going away. Jesus and his disciples are, are going to move on to, to other villages and other cities so that they can minister there as well. But as they're doing that, as they're leaving, this mute man, this guy who, who can't speak, he was probably also deaf. Those two are usually connected in Scripture and in, in reality. And so um, this, this guy is brought to Jesus so that Jesus can do something about his condition. And Matthew tells us, that a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. So it's not just that this guy is mute. It's not just that he has a a physical problem. Matthew specifically connects it, because he wants us to see this, that, that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes physical problems that we have, not being able to speak, not being able to hear, not being able to uh, do other things, physical problems sometimes are caused by demonic activity, by demonic influence. That's what this this passage tells us. And so, this man is brought to Jesus with a not just physical problem. He had a physical problem, right? He couldn't speak. But we shouldn't get confused and we shouldn't think that he couldn't speak because there was something wrong with his vocal cords or or something wrong with his tongue or, or he had laryngitis. That's not his problem. He doesn't have a physical problem. Matthew tells us he has a spiritual problem. And so like any spiritual problem, he needs a spiritual solution. He needs some sort of spiritual remedy to fix his spiritual problem. And that's exactly what Matthew is going to tell us that Jesus does for him. He doesn't fix him physically. He fixes him spiritually. And what we see about this guy this guy who, who comes to Jesus, who's, who's brought to him, right? He can't even express what he wants Jesus to do. He can't say in his own words, Jesus, please heal me. Jesus, please fix this. Jesus, please cast out this demon that's oppressing me. He can't say anything. And so someone who's in his life brings him to the place that he needs to be to receive this, this spiritual healing that he needs. And so right there, we should see application there are going to be people in our lives who who don't know what it is that they need to to have their spiritual problems fixed and we need to take them to a place or to a person where they can get that healing, where they can get that restoration, where they can find redemption. Sometimes that person's going to be us. Sometimes we're going to be the person that God has placed in someone's life to give them the spiritual answer they need. And of course, that answer just like it is for this guy, and just like it is for us, to to any spiritual problem that we're going to face, is Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ answers any kind of spiritual problem that we're ever going to face. And just like this guy, who Matthew just tells us about his, his inability to speak because of demonic activity, but we know that he has the same spiritual problem that everyone has. Every man or woman that's ever lived, except for Jesus has a spiritual problem of, of sin, right? All of us, no matter, no matter who we are, no matter how old, how young, whether we're male or female, who, whoever we are, 
all of us are under the wrath of a holy God because of sin and completely unable to do anything to change our status before him. He, he's God. He's up there. We, we can't rise up to, to his status. And so what he did is he became flesh. He became a human being in the form of Jesus who's fully God, fully man, so that he could redeem us, so that he could fix and answer this spiritual problem that everyone faces. And so while in this passage tonight, we just see him fixing this guy's spiritual problem that causes a physical problem, and him not being able to speak, we should also see here something that points to the fact that Jesus is going to answer every spiritual problem. So in verse 33, Matthew tells us that Jesus casts out this demon, the demon leaves, and the guy speaks. And he tells us how people respond. At the end of verse 33, he tells us, he said, the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. The crowds are amazed at what Jesus does. Just like we would be, right? If we were there, if we were here today... And we knew someone who couldn't speak, who couldn't say anything. And all of a sudden, someone walked up to them and did something that we didn't see. And then they start speaking. We would be amazed. We should be. These people should be amazed. They've seen Jesus do all these things, and they're amazed by the things that he does. But the problem is, is that's all they are. That's all they say. They say, we've never seen anything like this before. Never before in Israel have we seen anything like this. But you don't see them asking for it to happen to them. It's not enough just to be impressed and inspired by what God does in someone else's life. It's not going to redeem me or change my spiritual problem just to see what God does in your life and me be excited about it. These people, instead of saying, never before has anything like this been seen in Israel, they should be saying that, and they should be saying, I want to see it happen in me. I want to see Jesus do something like this for me. But they're not. They're just simply amazed at what Jesus does while they fail to realize who he is. Certainly, you know, their, their response is better than what we're going to see of the Pharisees. It's a good response to be amazed at what God does. But it's also incomplete. Let's look at how the Pharisees respond in verse 34. Matthew tells us that the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. So the Pharisees, as you might remember, are this group of Jewish religious leaders. They're the people that are in charge of most of the synagogues. Uh, they're kind of the, the political powerhouse in, in religious uh, life in Israel. And so they're going to be people who are going to try to keep the law in all the smallest details of it. They're, they're committed to trying to, to do whatever it takes to keep the law, to earn God's favor. That's what they want to do. And as we've seen them in the Gospel of Matthew up to this point, what we've seen again and again and again is that they come into conflict with Jesus. And that conflict has been kind of steadily getting worse and worse and worse. They don't like the fact that the crowds uh, like him instead of them. 
right? They, they don't like the fact that Jesus is drawing all these people to himself and that people aren't coming to them for advice anymore. They don't like the fact that uh, Jesus is healing people, right? He's, he's doing these miraculous things that they can't do. They don't have the power to do, and they don't like that Jesus does. They don't like the fact that when Jesus healed the paralyzed man, he said, your sins are forgiven. So they reject him. And they've been steadily getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But tonight, in this passage, in verse 34, they kind of take it to a, to a whole another level. Right? This is where they take what Jesus is doing, and they don't just say that, that he's doing it wrongly. They say that he is serving Satan. They're saying he casts out demons by the prince of demons. The prince of demons is Satan, the devil. And the interesting thing about this, though, is that what we see here is we see them get to a point where, where all the crowds have already gone. Right? Because as, as we've seen Jesus do these things in, in Matthew 8 and 9, one thing that we've said over and over and over again is that they show that Jesus isn't just a man. Right? No ordinary man can do the things that he does. Sure, people in history uh, have healed people. Elijah even raised the dead. Some people have even shown power over creation, given to them from God. But no one ever in, in Israel's history offered forgiveness of sins th through themselves, apart from the sacrificial system. And so Jesus is doing all these things that are, that are showing to the people that he's not just a man. And finally, the Pharisees come to the point where they've got to admit it. They have to acknowledge that the crowds are right. They have to acknowledge that what Jesus is saying is, is real. He's not just a man. But then, they take it completely the wrong direction. Instead of saying that Jesus is who he says he is, that, that he's the Messiah sent into the world to redeem it, that he's the Son of God who, who's going to overturn the curse of the fall, instead of admitting that, which they've been waiting for as a people, even these, these religious leaders who, who would have known the law, would have known the Old Testament better than anyone else. They didn't want to admit that what it said was true. And so instead of that, they say he's not just a man, but he gets his power from the devil. He gets his supernatural power from there. And then, the rest of the time, for every single time after this, that we're going to see them in the Gospel of Matthew, that we're going to see the Pharisees, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Every single time, from here on out, they're going to be presented as, as being in absolute opposition to Jesus. Which, you know, if, if you've read the story before, you know that it culminates in them handing Jesus over to Pilate and asking Pilate to kill Jesus. So, we have the crowds, this first group who speaks, and they're amazed at Jesus, but that's it. They like the stuff that he does, they like to see it happen, it's exciting, but that's where it ends for them. And we have the Pharisees, right, who just reject Jesus outright, who take what he's done and attribute it to the devil. 
But there's also a third person that speaks. And we kind of skipped over it earlier because it's really easy to miss. We also have the mute man who speaks. Right? Matthew doesn't tell us what he says. He doesn't give us any hints. We don't have, we don't have any idea what this guy said. The first thing that, that came out of his mouth after Jesus opened it for possibly the first time. We don't have any clue. But the reason why we don't know is because it's not important. It doesn't matter what he says. Because we see how he responds to Jesus. He responds to Jesus by being changed. By receiving the work that Jesus has done in his life and being changed from that point onward. And what this shows us, these these three people, is it shows us three different ways that people respond to Jesus. The first group are those people who are amazed at what Jesus does. They they want the the big show. They want the gifts. They want uh, Jesus to to buy them a new house, to give them a car, to, to do all these great things so that they can feel like they're justified in following Him. They're not following Him because of who He is. They're following Him because of what He does. The Pharisees reject him outright, so, so clearly we don't want to imitate them. And then there's this guy. There's this guy who simply receives what Jesus does. And that's the main difference between these three groups. The main difference is that this guy doesn't do anything. He's, he's brought to Jesus by someone else. Someone else speaks for him to Jesus. The only thing he does is stand there and get his life changed. He can't do anything for himself. He can't fix his problem on his own. He's probably tried. He's probably seen other people expecting something to happen, and it didn't. It's only when Jesus steps into his life and intervenes on his behalf that something changes for the better. And obviously, we should all there see a picture of our own lives. We should see a picture of the gospel. We should see a glimpse of what it is that Jesus does for each one of us. And I just have to imagine that that from this point onward in this guy's life, all of it looks back to this event. Every single word that he spoke from that point onward, he knew was a direct result of the fact that Jesus opened his mouth, cast out this demon, freed him from its oppression, made him able to speak. So that whenever he said something that was harsh or discouraging or lied, was rude or insulting to someone. You have to imagine that he thought about the fact that he was misusing the gift that Jesus gave him. And whenever he did something right, said something true about Jesus, sung songs of praise about God and the gospel, he would know that he wasn't doing anything special. He wasn't doing something out of his own power. He would look back to that moment and think, I'm doing this only because... He did that for me. It's the same way for us in the Gospel. Just like this this one event where Jesus steps into His life and changes it forever, all of us should look back to, to what Christ has done for us on the cross in the Gospel, and all of our lives should be impacted by that. All of our lives should be affected by that. 
Everything that we do, everything that we say should be informed by the fact that Jesus has shown us mercy, has shown us grace. So that, you know, when we're around family at the holidays, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, being around family usually means being around conflict. And when someone gets on my nerves or I get on someone else's nerves, I should look back to the gospel and remember that because Jesus has forgiven me a far greater debt than anyone could ever rack up against me, I should be more than willing to forgive them. It should be easy for me. My natural response because of Christ should be to them forgiveness. Because I know more of my own sin than I'm ever going to know of theirs. My first response shouldn't be to expect them uh, shouldn't be to, to expect them to want my forgiveness. My first response to them should be to ask their forgiveness of me because I've probably done something to wrong them. As we get closer to the holidays and we see more opportunity to show other people mercy. Right, it's always around this time of year that, that needs are most evident in people's lives. Instead of complaining about the fact that you know, people ring bells every single place we go, we should think about the fact that God has shown us mercy. Right, Even when we were His enemies, Paul tells us, even when we didn't have anything that we could possibly do to make Him love us, to make Him show us grace, Paul tells us that because of his great love, because he's rich in mercy, he sent Christ into the world. He sent him to redeem us. He showed us mercy when we couldn't possibly do anything to deserve it or earn it. And because the gospel has changed us, that should cause us to be willing and eager and desire to show mercy to other people, to help those who can't help themselves. The people always say that God helps those who help themselves. But I think we know that theologically that's just wrong. God helps those who can't help themselves. And because he's helped us, we should help other people. That's how we should live out the gospel. Just like this guy, this, this mute man, who, who every single word he spoke for the rest of his life as a result of Christ's work in his life. For us, everything we do is a result of the grace that he's shown us. And there are an endless number of ways that the Spirit of God within us can, can cause us to live that out. We just need to be continually reminding ourselves of that. Of, of bringing that to the fore instead of forgetting about the fact that it happened. That he's changed us and that he is changing us. That's exactly why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. Because that's something, even though it shouldn't be, even though remembering the gospel should be just as natural for us as this guy would have remembered what Jesus did every time he spoke. It's not. We, we forget about it. We get busy with life. We get... Uh, distracted 
by, by all the stuff that comes into our life, all the stuff we've got going on. We forget about what Jesus has done. We forget about the fact that, that every moment of every single day is because of Him and us. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week to, to bring it back, to remind ourselves that these things, his, his work in us, actually happened. It actually changed us. We are different. We are new creations. We don't celebrate His death just because we like death. We celebrate it because the fact that Jesus died a, a painful, a violent death the fact that his, his blood was poured out, the fact that his body was broken. We celebrate that because that has meaning. It means that he really did bear the penalty for our sin. Not just what we did once, but, but who we are as people. And that he bore all of my sin and all of your sin, past, present, and future. And we celebrate this to remind ourselves and to bring that back so that when we go out from this place, when we go home for the holidays or go to Walmart, that we remember that He's done that. He's changed us. He's redeemed us. And everything that we do should be different because of that. The... In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is looking forward to the cross. He's talking about this, this Messiah who's going to come. And he describes Jesus as being like a lamb that's, that's led to the slaughter. He says that he opened not his mouth. Jesus who's different than this man, who, who has the ability to speak, who's not facing any kind of oppression that's keeping him from that. At the end of his life, he's there before the Pharisees. He's there before Pilate. And instead of saying something that would get him out of it, instead of simply speaking a word that would bring angels at his defense, Isaiah tells us that he's silent. He silently endures death so that he can give this man in Matthew 9, this man that we've seen tonight, so that he can give him the ability to speak and not just say whatever he said that day, but to speak truth about the gospel to other people because he's been changed. And his silence gives us the same privilege, the same grace, the same mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have created this world. You've created us. That even though you created it perfectly in the beginning, and it was good, we screwed it up. We continue to screw it up. We continue to spread sin in the world. 
But even though we were your enemies because of that, you sent your Son into the world to redeem it, to redeem creation, to redeem us, to make it good again. God, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you've given us the Lord's Supper. And that it reminds us of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That these things actually did happen. And that the gospel is the power of salvation. And that it's not something that just happened to us in the past, but that's something that Jesus is still doing to us through the power of your Spirit. God, we ask that you would help us to remember that. That you would help us to live our lives differently. Because we're living out of what you've done in us. And not out of who we are naturally. We thank you for the grace that we have because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.